Well, I'm glad I came to church today. That was a great exhortation about the beauty of the unity of the body of Christ. Thank you for being that beautiful masterpiece of Christ. We're in for a treat today. We get to read God's holy word in our own language. And we can have our own copy of that translation right in front of us. That's a treat. What a joy that is. Men and women have died for the privilege of reading God's word in their own language. Let's not take it for granted. And we have the treat of having the word of God expounded for us by Pete Dodd. You know, during this uh, transition period of our church family, I've asked uh, Pete and Cindy Dodd to come along in strategic roles to serve the body, and uh, they have willingly said that they would fit us into their lives. <laughs> and uh, it's been a delight and a blessing and a help to us and I want you to benefit from the spiritual giftedness and calling that God has on Pete's life by his uh, preaching this morning. I've asked him to uh, share with us as we will read from Psalm 34. You'll be encouraged and blessed and helped because of that. Let's open our hearts and minds to the truth of God's word as we read it together. I'm going to be reading beginning in Psalm 34. We'll read together verses 1 through 8. The title of this psalm, it says, is the psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I begin reading in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Imagine a family that's characterized by selfishness, inconsideration, demanding, unloving, and unforgiving. No, I wasn't at your house this morning. <laughs> Imagine a workplace where everyone's uncooperative, they're complaining and uncaring and even stealing. Imagine an orchestra a 50-piece orchestra with all the various instruments and every, everyone playing their own favorite song and as the conductor comes up and everybody's out of tune, it would sound very bad. <laughs> Imagine a government that's power-hungry and selfish in a preservation mode and everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. That 
Sound familiar? <laughs> Imagine a church filled with strife, desiring what's in it for them, full of bitterness and ungratefulness that's powerless and prayerless. I had a friend of mine go to a church. He started pastoring there. Had a write-up in the paper, new pastor in town. And at first, it seemed like God was doing a work until things went from bad to worse. There was a power struggle within the church and who was going to control the treasure, the, the money of the church, and it ended up in strife. And, and then there was a power play, who was in control, until the, the deacons of the church called the police and filed a restraining order on the pastor. And guess what? The pastor decided to go to church anyways. And here in the parking lot of the church is a, is a policeman trying to fix a problem that only God can fix. <laughs> you see, what we describe here are all institutions <laughs> that are characterized by chaos, and Satan loves that. He loves to divide and conquer. Unity is not the goal of a church. It is the results of our commitment to Christ and our commitment to truth and love. So today, I want to think about what's better together. In our text today, in Psalm 34, it says in verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name. The very last word is together. Now, together, the word together is more than just getting together on a Sunday morning. It's kind of like if you put four cats in a burlap bag, they'd be together, but they wouldn't be united, you know. <laughs> okay. With a lot of churches, they get together, but they're not united, so... But I want you to think about three words in this verse. Verse 3, the first one is magnify. <laughs> Just circle that. Magnified means to make large or great. It is uh, used, same word used in Genesis 12:2, where God made the promise to Abraham that I will make your name great. So, we want to magnify. Does the Lord need to be magnified? Is he big enough? Yes, he is. But to a world around us, they, they see him as something that's inconsequential, as something that's peripheral, something that is not necessarily needed even. And through our lives, we're like a magnifying glass that shows others the greatness of our God. <laughs> and we need to magnify him. The third, second word is, let us exalt. The word exalt, circle that. It says, it means to raise or to promote. It's used in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 13, where the suffering servant is described as one. It says, behold, my servant shall be exalted, extolled, and very high. Jesus used a very similar word. He says, unless the Son of Man be lifted up, as he's lifted up, he will draw all men to him. 
So our responsibility as followers of Christ isn't just to magnify the Lord. It's to exalt him and lift him up high. And I love our, our theme as our church, exalting Christ in all things. It goes right along with this verse today. And then the last word of that verse is Psalm 34, 3. It says, let us exalt his name. Can you say it together? Ready? Can you, you can say this. Ready? The word is? Together. Okay, that's good, because that's our key word today. Together. It means united in purpose under the headship of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. When he is disconnected from the church, the body is dead. There may be organization, but there is no love. There is no pursuit of the truth. Christ must be exalted. He must be the head of the church. So today, <laughs> hold on to your hats. <laughs> We're going to look at 10 ways we work better together. <laughs> 10 ways we work better together. Now, this is as a result of a study we did as a choir during our growth group during the months of September through December. And we looked at this verse and we discovered these things we do better together. And I took about 20 minutes during choir rehearsal over a span of 10 weeks. So 10 times 20 is 200 minutes. That's we're talking about three and a half hours. So I hope you're ready to be here for a while. <laughs> I'll try to make it brief. <laughs> okay, now what you can do on your piece of paper, and you write this down just on the top of it, Together we, just put the, those two words, together we, or you can just say 10 ways we work better together. And the first thing is the priority. It says together we, first of all, pray for the grace of God. Together we pray for the grace of God. Now you think, well, Pastor Dodd, I, I, uh, in times past, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I asked God to forgive me, and he showed me his grace, and that is essential to this process. You must pray for the grace of God. It's called saving grace. It's by grace we're saved through faith, and not, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. We need the saving grace of God. Without the grace of God, where would we be today? We would be lost. We'd be wandering. We wouldn't be seeking God He's the one that came to seek and save us who was lost and to extend his grace to us. Aren't you thankful for the saving grace of God? But also, we, once you come to grace, come to faith in Christ and receive the grace of God, you can't live the Christian life without the sustaining grace of God. We need to pray for the grace of God to sustain us. Remember the Apostle Paul, was there was anyone that was strong in his faith, he prayed, he prayed that God would re re remove his thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times, and yet God said to him, no, I'm not going to heal you. But he said, God said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, we all like to boast about our strengths, and we all have them. But we don't usually go boasting about our weaknesses, do we? We like to kind of hide them. But you see, it's in the weaknesses of our life that God's glory shines the greatest. 
But you got to pray. You got to pray for the sustaining grace of God. Then you also have to pray for the, the splendid grace of God. That's the grace that we'll see in the fullness of God's glory. When we're in, we get to see him face to face. What a day that will be. Often in life's trials, we lose perspective of eternity. But in the simple hymn of Amazing Grace, it captures all three of these aspects of grace. The saving grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved." Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will what? Lead me home when we've been there 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun. That's the splendid grace of God. And there's only one way to get the grace of God. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, God resists the proud. Now, I don't know if you've ever been resisted by God, but I can guarantee you that you will not win. <laughs> You'll never win when you resist God. God loves you too much to let you wander away from him. He will draw you back one way or the other. And today, he may be even speaking to you today. And he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then he says, therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. Now look at this. Here's God's mighty hand you're under, and he's lifting you up. Is there any better place to be today than under God's mighty hand? Is there anything too hard for God to do? Nothing. Do you need a upholding hand? Yes, we do. We need him to uphold us with his everlasting arms. Here's just simple things. <laughs> I'm a simple guy. I don't try to make life complicated, but when I get up in the morning, I try to pray three simple prayers. Imagine a church praying these simple prayers each and every day that we live. You could say, Lord, give me strength. Lord, keep me safe. Lord, help me shine for you. I think God hears those prayers. It was Samuel Chadwick that said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. You ever wonder why... Prayer is the most difficult thing in the Christian life. You ever think, I've never met a Christian that says, man, I prayed enough today. Ever met anybody like that? No. You never Have you ever met a church that says, boy, we prayed a really lot. We prayed enough today. No, you've never met a church. It's one of those things. If a church, if a church, if Calvary Baptist Church gripped this one truth today on the truth that God answers prayer, 
and there's nothing too hard for you, God to do, if we would grasp that truth as a church, it would transform this church and it would literally change our community and impact the world for the cause of Christ. We must pray for the grace of God. But we don't have because we don't ask. Lord, we need your grace. Our dependence on the grace of God isn't just minimal. It is absolutely essential. We're in desperate need of the grace of God today to sustain us. Together, we pray for the grace of God. Secondly, together we proclaim the word of God. Colossians 3.16 should be the characteristic of us as a church community. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or fully in all wisdom as we teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This morning, what a privilege to hear you pray together as we sang, speak, O Lord, as we come to you. Satan hates it when we pray like that. We're all in unity praying, Lord, speak to us till your church is built and your glory is seen around the world. God will answer that prayer. <laughs> and if he can distract you from praying, oh, he's got your, you got your way off base. The church prays together, does stay together. And I'm so thankful that you came today and as you teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it's not just per peripheral, it's essential. Sitting up here hearing you sing this morning just brought my heart great joy. Hearing the ladies sing, how beautiful. By the way, you look beautiful today. <laughs> you really do. You're the body of Christ. You're the bride clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Those truths that we sing to one another encourage us and admonish us and warn us to stay focused on Christ. We are the bride. <laughs> We're bought with a price. We should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. You got to love the word, read the word, memorize the word, meditate on the word, live the word. There's a lot of people that can quote a verse, but they don't live it, and that doesn't work real well. We need to be ready at all times to give an answer for the reason of the hope that's in us. And the greatest way you can do that is proclaim the word of God to a world around us that needs Christ. Just the other day, as I was working, I walked in a store to deliver milk. I work for Toss. <laughs> this man's on his phone. He's texting like this. Well, surprise, surprise. Everybody seems to be texting on their phone, you know. We're all kind of zombies looking at a phone. <laughs> this man, and I walk into the store. He's just, just him and me there. And he says, he says, I hate my sister. I said, wow, okay, what brought that on? He says, no, I, I really hate my sister. And then the third time, he says, in the real, real loud voice, I hate my sister. Whoa. So I, I took the milk back in the cooler. I said, maybe, 
okay, Lord, what in the world can I say to this guy? And I come back out. He's got fire in his eyes. He says, I hate her so much I could kill her. I said to him, I said, you need to forgive your sister. And then he just starts bawling. He says, how can I forgive her? It's at that point, the Lord just gave me a verse, made me think. I said to his name, I said, you need to go to the cross and remember what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the word of God. That's not me. And the word of God will never return void or empty. And then as I shared that with him, I prayed with him. And he, there's the counter between us. I just grabbed his shoulder. I prayed for him. And he looked up at me and he said, you really care about me, don't you? I said, yes, I do. God cares about you. There's a world all around us that need the word of life. And you can't share it unless you know it and live it. We ought to be a people that hunger and thirst for the word of God, that it may dwell in us richly and fully. And as we, as we speak, we speak the truth and love to others around us. Together we do that. Together, thirdly, we pursue the peace of God. Together we pursue the peace of God. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. There's the body of Christ. We're together and he says, be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is amazing. The, in the body of Christ, it should be characterized by the peace of God. There's a peace that passes all understanding. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what trial you're going through, when you come together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you can know the peace of God. My dad passed away over 20 years ago. And he died on a Saturday, and I had to preach the next day, and I could have, I could have said, no, I'm not going to go. But I felt my dad would want me to preach, and I preached on the passage where Jesus heals the little girl, and he heals the woman with the issue of blood. And the crowd comes to Jesus and said, don't bother the master. Your daughter is dead. I said, that's the worst thing you could say to somebody. Don't bother the master. <laughs> and God gave me a great peace that day. You know why? Because I was with, the God, with God's people. And there's peace in the midst of God's people. There's, there's strength. There's encouragement. And we're so thankful for that. So together we pursue the peace of God. Ephesians 4 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's the Spirit of God that unites us. We're supposed to just to keep the peace. You understand? Our church, this church, haven't, hasn't arrived at perfection. But by God's grace, we have direction. We are going to follow the Savior. And we will, we will pursue the peace of God. Fourthly, together we practice the presence of God. James 4 7. James 4 7 says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Here's the devil. Resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You say, practice the presence of God. What does that mean? Well, we know that God is everywhere present. He's, it's one of the attributes of God. He's omnipresent. That's the universal presence of God. Psalm 139 speaks about where can I go from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. You're with me wherever. That's the universal presence of God. Secondly, there's the cultivated presence. That's what James 4 is doing. It says, he says, we're going to submit ourselves to God. We are going to draw near to God. And then he will draw near to us. This is the cultivated presence of God. This is where we sing, we say, Lord, draw my life to you. Help me focus upon you. Let me wait upon you. Let me call upon you. That is drawing near to God. And then I love the last part of this verse, and he will draw near to you. That's what's called the manifest presence of God. That's where he shows up and he displays his glory in the midst of his people. God is in the midst of his people. Aren't you glad for that? He isn't just peripheral. Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Guess who was singing today? God was. He delights to see his children walk in truth. See, God is the only passive. He's the only one here observing. We're all participants in worship today. And when we draw near to God, he he draws near to us. Just think about this. Paul and Silas in jail were persecuted for their faith in proclaiming the the name of Christ. And at midnight, what were they doing? They were grumbling and complaining at God. After all, they had served God so well. Why should they be persecuted and beaten and put in chains and in a dark prison? They were complaining at midnight, right? Isn't that what your translation says? I think I got the wrong translation. What were they doing at midnight? They were praising God. They were praying. They were cultivating the presence of God. They were coming into his presence with singing. Even though the circumstances all around them were dark and bleak, they didn't even know if they would live to the next morning. Yet they were praising God at midnight. You know what I would have been doing? I would have been sleeping. I would have been sleeping. That's a rough day. I'm going to sleep. No, they weren't. They were cultivating the presence of God. And guess what happened? God showed up, didn't he? God showed up. And the earthquake and the the jail, all the doors opened. And guess what happened? Somebody got saved that day. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of persecution and darkness and dreary circumstances, they prayed to God and they cultivated the presence of God. And God showed up. And the door all swung open. And the jailer says, oh, man, what must I do to be saved? He thought he was going down because each of those prisoners, he thought they were all gone. He says, no, Paul says, oh, we're all here. We're all here. Which, by the way, is a testimony of Paul and Silas. I believe their praying and praising God at midnight made an impact on those other prisoners in that jail that day. And it made an impact on the jail. Uh, on the jailer that day because then Paul and Silas had the opportunity to tell what this jailer really needed. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And your house, don't you like that? 
God wants to see whole households transformed by the grace of God. And your testimony and cultivating the presence of God will not only change your life, it will impact the lives of those around you. Amen? Together, for fifthly, we praise the greatness of God. We praise the greatness of God. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord, and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. If you think you got God all figured out, if you think you got God in a box, your God is too small. You, you, there's no way our infinite minds can, our, our finite minds can understand an infinite God. The same psalm in Psalm 147 in verse 4, right before that, it says, He counts the number of stars, He calls them all by name. In creation, in Genesis, it talks about the greatness of God, how he spoke the word. He said, let there be light. Boom, there's light. He created something out of nothing. It's called ex nihilo. It, you can't do that. Can you make something out of nothing? No, God can. That's how great our God is. <laughs> and then on the fourth day, he says he created the, the moon, and it's the sun and the moon. And it says, oh, by the way, he made the stars. Just by a spoken word. And we can't even figure out how many number of stars there are, can we? We get stronger telescopes. We look up in the sky. Oh, there's another galaxy. Whoa, what is going on? Nobody can number the stars. And don't let anybody sell you a star to put your name on. Don't do that. <laughs> how stupid is that? God has all, them already named. It says he counts the number of stars. He calls them by name. Don't let somebody rookie into buying a star that's stupidity <laughs> okay god is infinite but the worst verse right before this in verse three it says it says he heals the broken in heart he binds up our wounds isn't that amazing the god who created the stars and the heavens and the earth the sun and the moon who created all those just by his spoken word he is not only infinite he is intimately acquainted with your life wow and he wants to heal the broken in heart have you ever been broken hearted have you ever been sad have you ever wondered nobody knows the trouble i've seen have you ever sung that song and had a little pity party for yourself well it's not true god knows your troubles jesus knows all about our troubles it says in one of those songs. <laughs> he heals the broken and hearted. He binds up their wounds. Isn't that great? So we praise the greatness of God. Sixthly, together we're powered by the Spirit of God. Together we're powered by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5, 18, it says, uses the contrast of being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. It says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. means it's not profitable. It's not going to work out real well for you. But be filled with the Spirit. 
what happens when you're filled with the Spirit? It says you speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That sounds kind of familiar. When we read from Colossians, we said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This one says, let the Spirit of God fill you, and you'll speak to get one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Wow. When the Spirit of God moves in the midst of his people, there is going to be a transforming work. It's going to change everything. Everything will be changed. When God gets control of the church through the Spirit of God, which, by the way, this is a wonderful blessing. When you trust Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you immediately. We're not talking about the indwelling of the Spirit, but get this the third person of the Trinity, the eternal God, the infinite almighty God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit indwells you as, as believers. Wow. That, that in and of itself is incomprehensible. Why would God want to dwell in this old tattered thing? <laughs> Yet he does. And we're powered by the Spirit of God. And when the filling of the Spirit comes, it's not getting more of the Spirit it's the Spirit getting more of me. It's like saying, He must increase, I must decrease. May people see more of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit through my life because it doesn't come naturally. It's the fruit of the Spirit that is born through our life by the filling of the Spirit. <laughs> Just think about this. In Acts 2, 120 people gathered for prayer meeting. 120 given a mission to proclaim the the gospel to the whole world, that's not very many people when you consider 120 compared to the population of the whole world. They were given a, a huge, a huge responsibility. And yet they prayed and they waited on God. And guess what? In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit showed up. This is wild. This is great. And you know, they started to speak boldly. In fact, God enabled that whole group to be able to speak in various tongues so that those who were coming from other languages and other countries would be able to understand the gospel. They started to speak the gospel, and they thought, what in the world's happening to these people? Are they drunk? They thought they were drunk. And Peter says, no, we're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. We're filled with the Spirit. And it said they boldly proclaimed the word of God, and they... And that 3,000 people came to know Christ as a work of the Holy Spirit working through the people of God that day. And it goes on. You read through the book of Acts. It's in a work of the Spirit of God. And it goes on. And they kept saying, you know, these people who are filled with the Spirit, they're turning the world upside down. Does the world look upside down to you right now? It does. Everything that seems right to God's standard, is considered wrong. We're not really turning the world upside down. That's the way unbelievers see it. We're turning the world right side up <laughs> and having people see Christ through us. So together, we're empowered by the Spirit of God. Seventh, this is a good one. We're going to make it. We, together, we are protected with the armor of God. Together, we're protected with the armor of God. Ephesians 6 says, and he's using it in the plural form, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks 
of the devil. You know what the tricks of the devil are? They're to divide, deceive, distract, discourage Christians. He's the accuser of the brother. He would say to you today, you know what? God may have saved you, but believe me, your life is such a wreck, he can't do anything with you. Why even go to church? You're the biggest hypocrite of town. Why? Everybody's going to know that. And he discourages us from following Christ. He's the accuser of the brother. But I got good news for you today. In 1 John chapter 2, we have an advocate with the Father. That's Jesus Christ. And he's saying to you, he's saying to you today, hey, devil, don't you accuse that person that's my son that's my daughter that's my family down there you're talking about they may not be perfect but by God's grace they're changing and being conformed to the image of Christ you stop accusing them Christ is our advocate our advocate we have an advocate and so there's a war raging in the world around us there's anger hatred violence immorality profanity and the real enemy isn't that person who uses all that stuff? It's Satan himself who who's the, disguises himself as an angel of life who deceives and seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. The gospel releases people from the chains of darkness and from the bounds of Satan and gives them freedom in Christ. And we are in a war. We're not on a church picnic. This isn't a church picnic. There's a war going on, and it's a dark world. And we, as, as people who have the armor of light, must shine our lights brightly. We can't give up. We must, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, about the spiritual darkness in heavenly places. There is a war going on for the hearts and minds of our children. That's why it's essential as a church that we proclaim the truth of the word of God. We must reach the next generation for Christ. And with all our hearts, we must say, I'm going to put on the whole armor of God and I will serve in whatever way I can so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform the hearts and lives of our children. Whether it starts in the nursery, to the teens, or wherever, we ought to see a host of of people who will not sit on the sidelines, but stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Amen. we got to do that, for the time is short, and we're one day closer to the Lord's return than we were just yesterday. Aren't you glad for that? That's why we must be diligent. We can't be asleep. We must arise, O church of God. Take up the armor of light and stand for the cause of Christ. However, God chooses to let you do that. Wow. Well, okay, here we go. We're on the roll. We're on the home stretch. Together, we persevere in the plan of God. Oh, I love this verse. We persevere. It means we won't give up. We won't give up. We're going to stand strong till the end. Galatians 6 9 says, Let us not grow weary in well doing. You ever get tired in your Christian life? You ever get weary? You think, this is a little longer than I thought it was. It's like the little kid who was going to school, and, and he wants, he's kind of oh, he's walking out to the bus stop thinking, oh, man, and, he's, and he's, he looks at the bus, he runs back to his mom and says, Mom, I don't want to go to school. It's too hard. It's too long. It's, too, it's just too much for me. And the mom says, you know what, honey? You just described life. Get on the bus. 
Well, okay. Life in the Christian life sometimes does grow weary. But when you, when you get weary, will you look to Christ on the road to the cross? You think Christ became weary? He did. Did he fall underneath the weight of the cross? He did. Did he finish his work? He did. <laughs> I don't know how long God gives each of us to live. But when we come to the end of the race, we want to say with the Apostle Paul, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Wouldn't you like that to be said about you? I finished the course. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. We must persevere. We must not give up. Ninth, together, we're, pers we're persuaded by the love of God. This is the motivation of the Christian life. This is the motivation of the Christian life. We're persuaded. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For the love of Christ controls us or constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, and therefore we all have died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for us, and he rose again. <laughs> There's the motivation. You can do a lot of right things for the wrong reasons. You can do the right things for hopefully people noticing what you've done. You can do the right things because, man, if I don't do this, I'll really feel bad. You can do the right things because, oh, I have to do it. It's duty. You can do all the right, you can do the right things because, oh, I hope I get rewarded for this. All those things are secondary. Let the love of Christ constrain you. When you come to church on Sunday morning, you ought to think, I'm going to church because I love the Lord. I love God's people. And God's going to show up. <laughs> That's the way to come. Come with anticipation, thinking, God, you're going to speak to us today through your word. And once you start a work, you never give up on us. I'm showing up because I love the Lord. <laughs> Lastly, together, we're purposed to glorify God. Psalm 119.5. And notice the, notice the pronouns here again. Not to us, O oh Lord. Not to us. Twice he says it. But to your name be glory because of your love and your faithfulness. God will get the glory for what he accomplishes through us. When Jan played the piano today, we didn't say, wow, that piano did a great job. We don't say that, do we? When Don played the drums today, he said, boy, those drums, boy, those drums did a great job today. When Angie played the guitar today, we thought, wow, that guitar, wow, that is a really, really talented guitar. No, the instrument doesn't matter. It's the person playing it. And you understand we're all instruments in God's hands. And who gets the glory? If, if there's a good sound coming out of my heart and life, it's not me. It's God shining through me. Not to us, O oh Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory. So... Those are then, just in conclusion, are we committed to exalting the name of the Lord together? Are we committed to doing that? Our commitment begins with Christ. If you don't start with Christ, the church really doesn't matter. 
You must start with your commitment to Christ. You must say, I need you, Lord, to take away my sin penalty, to take away my judgment. You died on the cross for me. I come to you humbly asking for your saving grace. And guess what? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The invitation is still open today for you to come to Christ. It begins with our commitment to Christ. Secondly, our commitment extends to one another in Christ. We are committed that together we will proclaim the word of God, pray for the grace of God, pursue the peace of God, practice the presence of God, praise the greatness of God. We're powered by the spirit of God, protected by the arm of God. We persevere in the plan of God. We're persuaded by the love of God and we're purposed to give glory to God. We will do that until he comes again. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your good work in us. You started a good work and you purposed to complete it until we see you face to face. May we, as your people, together exalt your name, for you deserve nothing less than our whole heart, soul, and mind. We love you, Lord, and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What a treat. God's word, given exposure to our lives. Let's welcome the word. Let's stand together. If we can be of help to you as you process and apply God's word, let's chat after the service, on the phone, email, let us know on the card there, response card, give us a call. Let's process together how we can walk with the Lord on that journey, giving him and anew today, collectively today, 
Help us to pursue the plan of God in our lives, in the power of God. Lord, may we see all of these things worked out together, together. And may we find that we're stronger and better together as we rally around your plan and your purpose for our lives. I pray that our church congregation, this body of Christ, of which you are the head, would be better because of our time spent in your word together today. Empower us for that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.